No complaints today. Not going to put that badness into the universe. Oh, we're good. We're good. Um, okay, so I'm going to read a little intro of yours and then we'll get right into it, okay? Cool. Hello and welcome back to the Carson Daily Show. Today I am here with Jack Butcher. Jack is a well known entrepreneur, designer, and creator who is known for his work on visualized value. According to his website, he spent 10 years working in Fortune 100 advertising in New York City as a creative director for multi-billion dollar brands, having fun, but at the cost of his freedom. In search of that freedom, he started his own advertising agency, which he found to be less fun and provide him even less freedom. After two years of iteration, he figured out how to transition to highly specialized and fun consulting and build a product business that scales infinitely. Now he's positioning himself to be a founding father of crypto's next bull run with his very fun and nearly free NFT mega cha- mega trend checks. Hello and welcome. I barely made it through that. We're off to a good start. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> How are you doing? I need more coffee here, but I don't have an excuse because Mate, it's three o'clock. This is my, well, it's my second here, so. Oh, that looks right. good. I miss American coffee. Um, where are you from originally? I'm from a town called Swindon in the UK. So you're in London, right? Yeah, I'm just outside of London. And how long have you been in the States? About 12 years now. Oh, nice. That's amazing. What was that transition like for you? Because it's been interesting for me. Madness. I grew up in a... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bet. I'd be curious to hear about the other way around. But I grew up in like a small town outside of, I guess we called a village outside of Swindon with 10,000 people maybe. And I moved to New York originally. So you couldn't really imagine a bigger contrast of culture. You know, yeah, it, basically anything you can list. The opposite is true where I, where I moved to New York. But it was good fun. Yeah, I bet. I am from Vermont originally, and then I moved to LA for a year, which was like my first time leaving Vermont. So massive culture shock. And then moved from LA to here, and I'm like in the Staffordshire Moreland. So it's a lot more like Vermont, but I got accustomed to um, some of life's luxuries out in LA that I am now finding (laughs) difficult to fulfill here but I'm like much more comfortable much more at home I think I was always meant to be um English at heart (laughs) oh really I love it yeah um are your parents still alive sorry I know that's a random question but I always am curious okay and what do they what do they do or what did they do while you were growing up so my mom was in they were both in the military my mom was a nurse and my dad was a engineer. Uh, and then my dad came out of the military, did 22 years, I think, and then worked. Uh, I can't even remember. Where did he work? As a pharmaceutical company, I think. Engineer fixing machines that made drugs. That's interesting. So how my did you... How did you get on your path of like advertising, New York City, Fortune 100 companies, all of that madness? So when I was at school in the UK, when you're 16, they, I don't know if they're still doing this, but when I was at school, they made you do work experience when you're 16. So I think that's year 10, year 11. can't remember exactly, but they give you a list of basically things that you can choose from of mostly local businesses that partner with the school that say you can come and, you know, 
wash dishes in this place or do the stock room in this in the supermarket or what work at the bus station and there was an option to do your own thing so if you could get a business to agree to put you up for a week basically you could go and do that and my cousin at the time was uh working at a graphic design agency in nottingham so a fair fair way away from where i was but um got in touch with him and asked him if whoever was running that place would let me come and sit in there for a week instead of you know working in a supermarket and that got sorted out and i think that was my first exposure to it kind of forgot about it for a little while after that and then when i came out of school and looked at the reality of the jobs available to me at the time or the things that i was like the things that i've been recommended to look at as work i actually started working in a, a print factory locally and it was horrendous just as it, i was and like managing accounts there so i'd be basically be calling people up and say your job is going to be a month late or it's going to cost you twice as much or just basically delivering bad news all day and they had one client it was called graphic magazine and i remember just looking at this thing that they, they were producing on these in, like incredible 12 color printing presses most like 99 percent of their work was just flyers junk mail like garbage that you would you know get fall out of the newspaper every time you pick it up but they had this one client called Graphic, and that's beautifully crafted magazine with like 15 different paper stocks in there, beautiful work. And I guess that kind of triggered this thing of like, wow, somebody is actually out there making a living doing this stuff. Yeah. Um, so that was, I think, where the real like switch came in. And after that, it's like a long story, but basically I met these two guys in a pub one night who were friends of friends, and they were going to New York. They had a friend who work for Virgin Atlantic could get cheap tickets. I was like, I'm in, I'll figure out later how to, how everything's going to work. And I sent 150 emails to Craigslist classified ads for graphic design interns. And I got one response and that turned into a job. And then I was stuck in New York after that. I love that story so much. It's like for my, like the start of my like professional career was like I was in Vermont thinking I was going to move to like Austin or LA or New York and like do PR and just realized what I was up against and I would apply for so many jobs and finally like my 150th application was I applied to be a director of communication like at a company called Super Plastic I had I did not have the skill set for it whatsoever like I wrote a complete like lie of a cover letter but I was like look I'm proving like the concept of what you need of like a storyteller like I came right, right. in to the interview and they were like what is what you're 21 like how do you have 10 years of communication experience I was like well I I do though yeah, <laughs> exactly <yeah>. so <laughs> I love that so much um I'm always curious to ask about like people's childhoods which could be such a, a broad question and like it, the answer can go on forever so I just want to say like what aspect of your childhood can you pinpoint as having like the most influence on where you are at today and right now in your life it's a good question. I actually don't think I've thought that deeply about it. I think a lot of it probably comes down to um, I had a friend in what would be high school in the States. So I was probably 13, 14. And this guy made lolcats.com. So this was like, this was years ago, like dial up internet, like cat memes. And I'm like, 
pulling this out for the first time, but I think this might be it. So basically a like a rudimentary understanding of the internet from that. Somebody close to me knew how to make websites and like put information out into the world. And we're like obviously in this like mega rural spot where you don't really understand the implications of that. But anyway, that was maybe a seed was planted there. I used to play this game called RuneScape. Just ridiculous amount of time invested in that. Um, you know, teenage boys, video games. There's definitely a bunch of reverberating consequences, I think, from from that. Like RuneScape specifically, though, is like there's an in-game economy in there. Like you put hours and hours and hours into something that's seemingly pointless. Uh, what else did we do? We used to make like these flash games. So I don't know if you're probably a decent amount younger than me, but like the era of like really simple games on the internet where you'd like like click on a piece like of fruit snake. as it fell from the top of the screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That around that era of games. So like understanding the mechanics of those. And then yeah, I think just through like a little bit of exposure to that. That's definitely the thing that translates most to what I'm doing now. We used to do this like jackass knockoff when we were kids too. So I did like video editing and nice. like terrible website design, make flyers, hand them out. Just, yeah. So just like amateur hour creativity from probably early teens for sure. That's amazing. Digital creativity, I should say. Yeah. You're the third person that I've interviewed this week who has used RuneScape as like a an answer in a question about like their early internet wow. phases. And like wow. I'm young enough, I'm old enough, I guess, to to say that like I remember being entertained by playing like solitaire on the computer or like messing around in Microsoft mm -hmm, Paint. Mm -hmm. So I have like I do like stand on the border of like remembering life without like a computer in my pocket to like, you know, not being able to live without it now. So okay, I want to move right. along and I mentioned freedom in the intro and like that's a concept that has come up. It's on your website. It's in your LinkedIn. And I wanted to ask what, you know, what does freedom mean to you when it comes to like personal, professional definitions? How has that changed like from, you know, assuming now that you have it, that you've achieved it to kind of when you were, you know, in search of it? Great question. So the agency game that i grew up in you know the like we are going to ask you to solve a problem or we're going to ask you to pitch us your solution to a problem and we might hire you or pay you to do it that's really i had an amazing time working in that environment but that's really how you create the set of experiences and all the proof to get people to eventually come to you and the businesses that i was working for had I guess you could argue that they'd reached that point where people come to them, but they still had to prove themselves and work for free, essentially, to get a job. So the 10 years I spent in that advertising, marketing, design world was all that. It was all like, pitch us for your business and maybe we'll, maybe we'll pay you to do it. And I was like getting paid a salary in those environments so that was really none of my business you know i show up i put my i put effort in i get paid that's a great arrangement like they had a bigger reputation than me they brought work i got opportunity 
I build a portfolio of work that then I can use to get another job, blah, blah, blah. So there's like, I think there's degrees of freedom in everything. And obviously there's like responsibility that comes with freedom, depending on the situation you're in. The transition that is described on the website is like, how do you go from someone else bringing you opportunity to, to building something that just brings opportunity to you? And it took me so many iterations to get there because I'd come up in that environment where you're kind of everything to everyone to some degree. You're like a creative studio. So you do video work, you make websites, you'll shoot commercials, you'll do, you know, print work, TV ads, all of the, like, basically everything under the sun. And when you have this massive business that you operate within, you're like, yeah, it makes sense. Like, we're not going to turn anybody down. We have all these people. But then when you want to break out and do something by yourself, the more like breadth you agree to, the less freedom you have and the less like the less your effort compounds because you're just spreading yourself so thin over all of these different things and what you have to show for your experience is so diluted there's really hard to find like great matches for people to work with jobs to do etc so the first basically the first iteration of that was visualized value which is a really was a really focused agency to begin with whereas like this is what we do. We take ideas and we distill them to this very specific graphic style. That's the output of our work. If you don't want that, please don't work with us. This is what we're doing. Which is very different than the agency environment where it's like you go into a meeting and someone's like, well, I showed my auntie this last night and they <laughs> thought that it would be a good idea to do X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, well, they're paying us. So we have to basically follow every like, single okay, rabbit cool, hole that they yeah. put in front of us. Get auntie in yeah, here. Yeah, Get her yeah. on the phone. That's really interesting. Yeah, wow. So positive. Yeah, let's put we'll, that together. We'll think about that. Yeah, you've yeah. given us some good things to think about here. It reminds me of, I was listening to your interview with Proof and you were talking about how checks, and we're going to talk more about checks, obviously. How could we not? But how you were saying that like this actually like starting place is a container for even more creativity than a blank canvas like that. The juxtaposition of that. And I think like that's a experience that I can relate to as well is like, why do I feel like my work and my ideas are so much better and stronger when I'm working for a company or I'm consulting for a company that has like a very specific problem? Like I have this container that I can kind of float around. Mm -hmm. Whereas like when it comes to my own ideas, I'm just, I can just go so far into fucking outer space with them that I'm like, does this even make sense anymore? And like, especially when it comes to web three and NFTs, I'm like so inspired by the technology that I'm like, and then we burn this and then you do that and then update the metadata <laughs> and, and like so, and I'm like, nobody cares about any of this except for me. And like, so that all is to say, like that rant is leading into my question of like, what is, you know, you've talked about how the importance of like the simplification of, of the creative process and like taking these big ideas and concepts that people know nothing about or very little about and making them something that people can understand. Like, what is that, like, what is the distillery of that for you? What does that look like? How do you start with something big and then just keep like filing it down, filing it down, peeling it back until you have just, you know, this one thing that can stand on its own and say so much by saying so little in a way? Yeah, good question. I think the, there's like a couple ways 
to think about it. And all of this is retrospective too. It's, it's, a lot of these things just arrive as the result of so many experiences that confirm something to be true. So if like you read something that's articulated really well and it sounds true or it resonates with you, to me, that's like a acknowledgement that you can cross-reference this statement with all of these things you've experienced and say, that's true. And then, well, that's true to me. And the process of translating that to something visual is a really like esoteric thing that's happening in your head and the the creative process for visualized value is probably 95 percent if we're talking about time spent just just like staring at a wall or walking around and then just an idea will pop in and the actual execution of it is you know 10 minutes in figma making the shapes look right and composing things on a on a square canvas so the the labor is really happening more mentally than physically. And um, there are some occasions when you put it down and then when you see it visualize, you can continue to refine it a little bit. But really, at least the way my brain works, most of the conclusion is reached like completely without any physical uh, work being done. And then when you have that thing, you're basically running it through the same filter. Like, is it true in this situation? Is it true in that situation? And when you put it out into the world and it resonates with people, to, well, the degree to which it resonates, I think, is indicative of how well you captured the phenomenon or the statement or the concept. So that feedback loop helps you get better at it too because you kind of recognize the patterns that are... Um, the patterns that people can decipher. So you're translating this thing into something that is more understood. That that word translation, I think, is probably the best concept for us, like taking something and displaying it in a way that more people can access it. Not that they wouldn't understand the sentence or they would but they may be it's just like it's like branding or packaging anything, right? It's like here's an idea that's very unsexy because it's in the four hundredth page of a philosophy book that's 3000 years old if you turn it into an instagram post yeah. that makes someone like having like a, an epiphany in two seconds be like that's that's true and it looks good you are injecting that idea with with more meaning or different meaning or giving more people access to it so that's a rambling answer of how I think about it. No, that's really interesting. And you mentioned like 95% of the work is like not actually like labor, like it's it's mental. And you said like staring at the wall. But so I have to ask, like, you're not really staring at the wall, right? Like, what are you doing during this? Like, no. what are you doing during that 95%? Like, are you going for a bike ride? Are you running? Are you like on Reddit trying to find like random, you know, rabbit holes of the mm -hmm. internet? Like, what are you actually doing in that 95% of the time to like unlock that creative feedback loops to ignite that spark, etc? Yeah, earlier on, it was definitely reading. So it was, well, you'd read and then these things were kind of marinate it's almost like the defragging of a hard drive you know you just like put all this madness in there and then like two days later something some neuron hit another neuron it's like oh that idea connects to that idea here's how i could here's how i could build on it um i always find honestly when i'm intentionally trying to like go after the thing or like i'm gonna you know 
go for a run, for example, and think about this, it just uh, never works. It's like every time I have a good idea, it's when I'm not supposed to have it, right? It's when I'm like, exactly. let's Going sit down bed. and have yeah. dinner with my wife. And it's like, shit, I got this idea. I got to write this down or let's, uh, yeah, I'm going to start working on this one thing. And then the idea for the other thing comes out of that. That's really like yeah. one of the things to refer back to the like freedom conversation that is like a fail safe thing for working on something is to commit to something else, mm -hmm. which is the most annoying thing in the world. Like as soon as somebody like comes to me and says, Hey, can you help me out with this? I'm like, yeah, sounds great. And then as soon as a deadline for that approaches, I'm like, how can I work on my stuff? And it always gives me better ideas for my stuff because I'm, for whatever reason, wanting to prioritize the stuff that, you know, I've deprioritized by saying yes to something else. It's a very odd concept. I th I've spoken to a few people that tend to uh, confirm that to be true. So the stuff that I'm doing consciously to try and have ideas rarely works a lot of it is especially with the nft stuff is like twitter you know just mm -hmm. trying to absorb the culture of the internet in some way and then what comes out as creative work is really like a reflection of what you consume there and the check stuff weirdly came after like i did a little bit of a twitter purge probably in december or something and like i had a lot of uh a lot of doomsday content on the timeline. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to chop a little bit of this down because I'm, every time I get off this, I'm a little more, uh, I'm feeling a little more dark. So I got rid of a few of those. And then like a week later, the, I don't know if this is connected or not, but that's when the, the checks idea came out. But man, so much of it is subconscious and like following your curiosity. And there's this really delicate balance there because you can really confuse, obviously, following your curiosity with just, doing nothing and messing around all day that's so that's having that life. channel <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the, yeah yeah that's the title well, most of, this of the time chapter. it's me too <laughs> yeah, yeah i yeah. my 95 percent uh, yeah and people will be like let me oh i want to talk to you about this idea that i have like what do you i'm like okay cool taking it in taking it in. and they're like what do you think i'm like I need to get back to you. Like I, I have no thoughts right now. Like I, when I need to have them, right. there are none. When I'm like, let me sit down and write this copy. There's no copy. But if I'm folding laundry or like <laughs> fucking do taking my dog outside, I'm like, wow, I have all of these ideas. Like I cannot shut my brain up. So I get that 100%. Um, wanted to ask, what are like the key principles of visual communication? Like this is probably like the textbook you know, the question that you'd be asked by a graphic design student or whatever. <laughs> but I really do want to know mm. like what you think those key principles of effective visual communication are. Yeah, to me, there's definitely a lot of confusion in that world over like the relationship between form and function. Mm -hmm. So I think to go back to your childhood question, my dad was an engineer. I always grew up around like stuff being fixed built you know little like improvements to things happening and like questioning why this works better than that and and when you go to design school depending on the curriculum the teacher the the school of thought there's like 
the emphasis on style and a lot of the reasons people get into design is because they have taste and they like the way things appear or they want to be able to make things that look nice. And so much of that work, in my view, should come after the idea has been cracked, communicated. Uh, and there are obviously instances where the way something looks stylistically is a big part of the idea. But to me, to be an effective visual communicator, you can write, you know, you could draw on a napkin, you could write on a whiteboard, you can, like the, the, the amount of emphasis that gets put on stylistic decisions over actual communication decisions is taught in the wrong order, in my opinion. Like the idea that you make something look nice and then you make it mean something, or you just make it look nice is the, to me is not is not in line with the principles of what design is as a discipline right design is meant to make the, make something more useful more accessible more readable more interesting like it's an it's a force multiplier for some some factor or many factors and to me the, like a desire to want to communicate things or improve experiences or you know reduce friction in some way that's the that should be the motivation for design and on the couple of conversations i've had about the difference between visualized value and checks over the last few weeks is this this fundamental difference between try, trying to answer something and trying to ask something so design as a process is like i'm going to try and find the answer to this question and then art as kind of the opposite of that is like i'm trying to ask this question which is, has been a cool, different creative process. And like, honestly, I try and like drum that into my head when I'm working on this stuff because I have muscle memory of like mm -hmm. trying to solve this communication problem. And this is a totally different uh, idea. That's so cool. You're like making new neural pathways with like everything that you're doing, which is awesome. I'm so glad you brought up taste because you're literally like carrying us through my little questions outline that I have because my next question was going to be like, if you consider yourself to have good taste and what the influences on that have been or how you maintain that good taste like what do you what artists are you watching what music are you listening to what authors mm. are you reading all of that i think definitely i have more taste digitally than in the physical world i've just invested way more time in that um but that idea of man taste is such a like a, such a crazy concept that the internet amplifies in such a profound way because the ability to, to have like niche taste and like build something around a very niche set of things that inform your taste completely. Like if you asked me 10 years ago, if anybody would come to me for like anything regarding taste, even as a practicing designer, not the case. Right? I was building like database websites and all, not really something that was like, as a hobby, I would like have a Pinterest board or, you know, pull together images for inspiration for um, projects and things I was working on. There's this amazing quote by a guy called Ira Glass. Have you ever heard this quote before? I don't think so. 
or heard that name before? No, no. I have to send you the full thing. But basically, the overarching concept is like the reason people get into creative work is because they have great taste. And your taste will evolve and always outrun your ability to execute or your ability to, you know, create the thing that you can see in your mind. So your taste is always lagging. It's like, I think that's, you could basically map that onto any process in anyone's life. Like when you're a teenager, you dress ridiculously, right? And then when you're 10 years older, you look at photos of yourself and you're like, what was I thinking? Maybe in 10 more years time, you look back. I don't know when that cuts off. I'm probably gonna be looking at photos of myself now in 10 years and be like, what was I doing? Same, same. yeah, and your work, everything, right? Like everything you look back at. There are a few exceptions to that. Like I'll look at stuff, like maybe there's one or two projects I did at school where I was like, yeah, that was good. Like that had like some timeless qualities to it, but there's a lot of stuff that surrounds it that was like slap bang, copying a trend or you know, just something that wasn't, wasn't, wasn't standalone or interesting enough or wasn't uh, like unique enough to sustain relevance for a period of time after it after the fact so yeah i think i have taste in a good amount of varying areas but i can execute on that taste in very different place like digitally put a screen in front of me i think i can make tasteful things that people appreciate but put me in like i don't know some Give me access to every piece of clothing in the world and put someone else next to me that knows what they're doing, how to dress. I'm going to look an idiot and they're going to look great. That's, you know, it's just just different areas of expertise. I love that. Yeah. I like my kind of reflection on that is like I can look back on the things that I wore or the things that I worked on, the the things that I made from five years ago or 10 years ago and be like, this is horrible, but still know in my head it was probably better than anybody else like at the time. And that's like one of my like toxic traits, but also like one of my sources of like confidence and self-esteem, I guess. Because I'm like, I trust my taste. Like, even if I might look back on it in, a, you know, due time and think like, what the hell was I thinking? I still know that I was probably ahead of the rest of, you know, my peers at the time. So the follow-up question is like, what percentage of people in like the NFT space do you think actually have good taste? <laughs> or what I think, part So I've been of asked this question taste? in different words. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, I think, I think to basically reference the last answer, people have taste in different things. Like there are people who have like amazing technical taste in terms of like how something is executed or the like how flawlessly a contract is written, for example, or how well a number of technologies have been integrated to produce result X. And so much of taste like the obvious interpretation of taste is what something looks like and or the you know the the common perception of what taste is is like what can i see and is that like interesting or beautiful to me and i think in terms of like visual output like anything 99% of stuff is bad like just especially with a especially with a, the ability for anybody to do it right the internet is a beautiful thing because anybody can participate, but it's also an incredibly ugly thing because anybody can participate because the barrier to entry facts. is 
yeah. is zero. Yeah. And it's like 99% of everything sucks. And I think the lower the barrier to entry to participate, the more that is true. Like, and we're definitely like the more permissionless stuff gets, the more connected the world gets. The noise just just goes. It's just on an exponential curve, and especially when you throw in some of the incentives that exist in this space specifically, all bets are off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's so hard to. I don't even know if it's possible to define like what like holistic or like cohesive taste is, and like how if anybody like in the space can kind of like represent that, because to me it would include like the visuals, the kind of the all everything to do with the aesthetic the technical like you said the smart contracts the community the collectors the founders like it would take all these moving parts that i don't even think it would be possible but i think that you have a, a concept or an idea that that you've mentioned on your website that i saw that might contribute to at least somebody thinking about taste or developing kind of their own brand which is productizing yourself so you tell me mm -hmm. a little bit more about what that means and what that entails yeah so the question we were discussing earlier on around like demand like you chasing demand versus creating demand that to me is the the polar like when the magnet thing flips from rejecting things to attracting things which is you're able to create something or a set of things that represent you, what you care about, what you want to work on, who you want to work with. And kind of the reductive way to speak about that is productization, right? The, there's something out there that represents you that doesn't require you to wake up every day and go and knock on doors or metaphorically knock on doors and say, hey, can I help you with this? Like, can I mow your lawn? Can I do like, these are obviously ridiculous examples, but the process of productization is just like this. This maybe not the right word, but it's like the residue of proof of work is like all the stuff that you do leaves in its wake, a reputation and a body of work. And, um, these artifacts that allow people to get in touch with you that in the world that I used to operate in was this idea of like helping someone communicate an idea. So I have, you know, I had 500 illustrations on this Instagram page that are all aesthetically exactly the same. They come from the exact same language. And if someone gets in touch with me to commission something, that's what they want. It's not like they're seeing all that stuff and then saying, hey, can you, you know, do me a... Like maximalist. Like you work on this like, sci-fi yeah. movie. <laughs> exactly. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if they do, I'll just say, no, I can't. And you do get requests like that still because there's, you know, the internet as we discussed. But the, um, the process of productization is really like what exists out in the world that represents what you can do or what you care about better than you can like show up every day and explain. And that's, there's also like a scale component to that too, right? It's like if this thing is exists on this network and it's just, you'd be asleep, you could be on holiday, you could be doing whatever. And this thing is still compounding 
And as you were explaining taste, your definition of taste, that to me is a, like, there's a really interesting tie-in here with this concept is like, you execute with good taste for long enough, like that compounds that like, even as a curator, as a, you know, someone having conversations and deciding who to talk to, like putting questions together that have a, that extract a different point of view from a conversation than, you know, a commoditized podcast where sometimes I'll go on a podcast like I've already done this podcast before you know yeah. like a <laughs> hundred times say I've done to somebody, this podcast right right <laughs> yeah so that to me if you're there's a there's a version of productization which is really commoditization too so the difference between being a it's like the spectrum is commodity and luxury good right it's like nobody else makes this and I'm there's a there's a price component to that too. Like I'm paying a hundred times more for this thing because it's this person is the only person who can do it, versus this thing at the other end of the spectrum is a commodity. And on paper, they're the same thing. Like on paper, like I could go and do a podcast with. I could walk out the door and ask somebody on the street to do a podcast with me. Right? Is it going to produce a conversation that people are interested in? Probably not. It's like the the idea of having focus, having like this degree of specificity and trusting your taste and producing something that is really reflective of how you think, that's productization. Like the best examples in the world that will, will last for hundreds of years, Apple is a great example. It's like one or two people with an insane, unwavering, won't compromise on like, this is what we're going to do. It creates this massive, massive compounding effect over time. and the you know the result that had on pop culture apple specifically is probably the best example of that it's like you don't even need to like people queuing up for the product they don't even know what it is they just know like i'm you know i buy apple products i'm going i'm gonna be standing in line right and what it says what being an apple user says about you as a person like now even that in itself like the kind of the divide between android and apple users like i'll never text anybody with green text like that whole mentality like that's when yeah, you really yeah, start yeah. to see culture happening you know it's interesting like while you were talking about it i was thinking back to like this was my like what attracted me to web three was i was thinking like okay for once like I, I see this opportunity of i can have my work like be mine like if after ha all these years of having the best ideas ever and feeling like so inspired you know i work at this company the ceo and that that brand name is having all my ideas so i'm gonna go and you know bring that to web three and see what i can do and i'm like I found that like I'm actually I have been really let down and I think it is because like the space moves so fast like there's this disconnect and like you said like you have this Instagram feed of all of your work compounded and in a lot of ways our like web 2 or web 2.5 digital identities do actually right now have more weight and do more to kind of push that that productization of yourself forward because even though the provenance exists and even though you have the blockchain like who is really going back to see 
you know, if you're the first person to did this, to do this, like you said that you did, like, or if you're, who's going back to look at the projects that you've launched, like look at people like Zagabond and what he's done. Like people looked at that productization of, of his own brand and creativity. And they were like, eh, okay, like we'll take it because even though these three things flopped, this one hit. So I don't know, I'm ranting because I want to know just like, what there is such a disconnect here like is it because of like the gambling nature of it is it because of the money that's involved or you know how do we kind of find a solution to this so that the blockchain and web3 can be the place where the productization of yourself of your own brand and as you know as creators as that can be the thing that holds the most power and brings the most value with you in the future yeah, I think the basically the network effect of those platforms is so insanely powerful, like the Twitters and the Instagrams of the world. There is definitely an argument to be made that that world is like you're reaching more people through that and the the question becomes then or the challenge becomes then this is like the transition visualized value is the first iteration of that is putting stuff out into the world so people will pay me for my time so here's here's all this stuff that I, here's all of this work that represents how i think and what i can do if it looks good to you send me an email maybe we can work together and you can pay me for a couple of days of, of work the second iteration of that was if you're interested in this, I put together a bunch of products that operate without me that teach you the principles behind this thing. So a design school that is fueled and like the, the network effect on the front end is accomplished by putting design work out into the world. And the third iteration of that is like the art itself becomes the product. And that's the hardest thing to execute is like that the gap between those two things is so enormous. And I recognize for sure that the degree of success that came from anything visualized value beyond the first part of that process was all in building distribution on these platforms that don't recognize or don't care about the other networks that exist. And even the people who collected my work early on would say, you know how to build networks. Like you know how to build distribution, you know how to keep growing the number of people that are consuming your work. And most for most artists, most creators, most um just like pure play like crafts people, the that skill set is not as as embedded in them or it's not they don't have as much experience in that and for the most part it's because they've been doing their work and getting good at creating the thing that they create. And I think the traditional relationships that exist between, you know, artists and auction houses or musicians and music labels, there's kind of a parallel there to creator and social platform. And we're still, I've not really seen it executed really well yet, but a, a social network built on top of Ethereum, for example, has not been successful for whatever reason and it probably it has a lot to do with the financialization of everything is not a sustainable 
it's not sustainable infrastructure for socialization because people just, you know, it just becomes absolute carnage after a very, very short period of time. And it's like speed running. Um, the culture of it is changing a little bit, I feel like. And this open edition meta has been interesting to change that a little bit where the expectation of participants, if you can signal up front that this is like, these are not financial vehicles. They're like ways to establish digital provenance. And like, I literally have no other way to show, ah, oh, I don't have a printer. Like I'm putting my work on the internet because that's the medium I use to make my work. And if you want to like buy my work, this is how it's going to be presented and sold. But it takes a lot. It, well, it takes a few people, I think, to stand up to the dynamic that has been established to like change that culture. And it's going to be really, really, I mean, everybody who is participating in this complains about this on the daily, right? The, the nature of the space, but it's also, you're benefiting from it too. So it's, it's the double-edged sword. Um, yeah, trying to, you know, like complaining about basically human nature that's what it comes down to is like the way the reason this behavior persists is because it's like biologically ingrained in in people to behave this way and the more friction you remove the closer you get to actual like natural impulses so man well, rambling answer maybe i didn't even answer the question but i don't even i i mean i barely even asked a question i think i was rambling myself and just put in like inflection at the end but you know you mentioned network and it's another that's another one of those things to me that like i get disappointed by the disjointedness of that because it's like you come to twitter and you need to build your network so you do all of that and then you start to kind of gain this social capital and then you turn that social capital into real capital by you know monetizing off of that network and then in web3 where the kind of you know uh-oh happens or like weird moment happens is that then the people who paid that capital from your social capital become your network and then you're expected to only kind of prioritize them first or if you start to then want to expand that network with more social capital more real capital then people are going to start to look at you cross like it's just like this never ending kind of like you just die there like it's to me yeah. in a lot of ways i'm like this is where kind of the creativity and the like you know self sovereignty and self governance like goes to die like on a psychological level because you right. can't break free from like these expectations of people so i don't know i think somebody if somebody is going to make a decentralized social network they should definitely call it capital i'll take um some idea royalties off of that because that's what you need mm -hmm. to do but it is like once we start I think monetizing or finding a way to like incentivize people with their time as well. Like when there's more ways to be involved in an audience and in a following and in a journey, like we might have a better understanding, but yeah. Anyways, thoughts on that, like how to kind of break free from that mold. Cause even you have like burn mechanics in with checks. Like how do you expand that network from there when the philosophy is that you're actually trying to, you know, by burning, you're reducing that network and you're reducing that supply. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, yeah, this the idea basically of disintermediation, like there, there's a huge conflict in that idea where people assume this idea of decentralization is... I wouldn't say reducing. What's the word I'm looking for? Like, you, if you, the way people have monetized attention prior to now has been via some middle middle yes, entity. Yes, yeah, this yeah. idea of, hey, I'm gonna put out this content, but every 15 minutes we're gonna interrupt it, and it's gonna have like some hard to pronounce drug being <laughs> talked about. Hopefully, one percent of the people buy the whatever. thing, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So that so it's the same concept, but now it's peer to peer value exchange as opposed to, hey, Carson's really good at having conversations that attract this person who is a good fit for this thing that we want to sell. So we're going to pay Carson some money, and then we're going to recoup some of that or more than we spend with Carson by people right. buying the thing that we insert into the middle of Carson's broadcast. So I think most of where this comes down, what most of the issue comes down to people not understanding the reality of value exchange and how how things become sustainable for um, anybody who operates in this world. You know, like the notion that you don't just like a traditional business, you just pay, right? You're like Netflix. I don't expect Netflix to send me a check every month. Like right. I'm paying because I enjoy the stuff that they put on TV and I can watch it. Thank you very much, right? Thank you. And done deal. the idea that this, yeah, it's done. Like I'm not calling up the CEO of Netflix again. Hey man, what's going what's on next utility, week? What's the utility, Netflix? Dropping next week? Yeah, yeah, what are you <laughs> yeah. doing? Yeah. <laughs> and because you're competing in, or in inverted commas, you're competing in this world where other people are running certain incentives or they have like, a VC funded war chest, let's say. So they can do things that you can't do. They can offer benefits that you can't offer. And it fundamentally comes down to like the people who are supporting a project or involved in a project purely for the up that upside or that is unsustainable by definition. And in changing this entire, like in changing the entire space to think more about these that this infrastructure allows people to not rely on one or two entities to make their money you spread that out over 10,000 people 100,000 people 1,000 people everybody knows the concept of a thousand true fans that's like that's been consistent in internet culture let's say before any of this web3 infrastructure existed so exactly. like a thousand true fans if you're a band and you have a thousand true fans like people buy your merch they'll buy your like they'll buy your lps they'll come to your shows they'll do whatever else and the idea that ethereum as a network is a more appropriate infrastructure for like giving some like giving real ownership to people when the product you create is digital. Mm -hmm. So that to me is like a fundamental shift that once, you know, there'll always be a component of this world that is like 
hyper degenerate madness. And I think the say the, the immaturity of the market is really what is driving that as opposed to people who decide to participate in a different way in the same way that you can use your dollars to fly to Vegas and put a hundred grand on red. The same, like we're so, we're so like biased on behavior in this space because of the nature of the network. Like the network is so mimetic and everybody can see what's going on. The capital just moves around like crazy. So like, Somebody might be really interested in your project and then they see something else taking off and they're like, oh, I'm going to go and do this now. And then the thing that attracted them to the other project is the number going up and then they're sitting in there and they're like, oh, I'm actually not interested in this thing. The, the reason I was attracted to the other project might have been what it was about, what it represented, who the person was. And I want that person to keep making stuff because it's entertaining, interesting, valuable. That behavior is just... There are more people with that view coming into this world every single day. And the noise on the other side is just incredibly difficult to drown out and operate without. But one of the things with checks I think worked out well is this the degree of transparency it was launched with is like, this is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to function. If you don't like this, please don't do not participate. It. Please. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Please don't. Yeah. Well, the, and the I think we're going to see more of that. That's like normalizing that. A hundred percent. And like the, the idea of like markets being mimetic and people having this is like, it is actually, I think even before like web three, like this new kind of breed of like mimetic desire that has happened as a result of Instagram influencers and social media, like everybody, the, the, just the idea and like concept of success and like reputation and experience has changed so much. Like I could say that I have experience doing this and that I'm successful because I've done what 20 episodes of a podcast where like, but what does that actually mean? What does that turn into? And then I have this, you know, this idea waking up that, oh, I'm going to be successful because I know other people, other women, other whatever who have launched podcasts and been nobody. And now they're, you know, interviewing Kim Kardashian. I'm like, oh, that could be me. Like, we just don't have... I think like the boundaries of what's possible are falling to the wayside. And like, that's a good thing in a lot of ways, but it's also like, not everybody was born to win. Like not everybody's a winner. Mm -hmm. Not everybody yeah, has taste. Like it's just very, so to me, like it feels really confusing and complicated to like be in a space that has this like we're all gonna make it fucking wag me energy and like to yeah. like i yeah. am drawn to checks and i thought it was interesting because like you've said it like it says on the website if everyone is notable nobody's notable if everybody's verified nobody's verified like we're just chasing our tails around this so uh, we haven't really talked about checks a lot and i know we've almost been here for an hour i hope you have a couple more minutes but like i want to i wanted to ask you like is this are checks like a encouragement of that mentality and that like pursuit for notoriety and for verification or are they like more of a social commentary that's like poking fun 
at all of us who want this so bad that we're willing to pay, you know, $8 a month for it. Like, where does that line happen? Who's in on the joke? You know what I mean? It's a good question. And I think I have, like I said earlier, there's, it's meant to be more of a question than a statement. And my, like the, you know, the day I came up with that, or when it, when it dropped in my head, it's like, this is as most of the visualized value work in NFT specifically has been focused on trying to communicate like shifts in culture digitally specifically. So like the, the blue check mark as a symbol that represents top down authentication or verification of someone, of an idea, of a statement there is a alternate reality right where we can assign that stuff bottom up and that's a huge question like who is notable what is authenticity what is true what is is it more do we have a better shot at at figuring out what the truth is as a distributed network of 200,000 300,000 people or do we need five people in a boardroom saying this person needs a blue check because it's really challenging like how you think about the world and it like that's why I think it's been interesting and there's legs in this thing is because there's you can interpret it at a really surface level like oh eight dollars a month for verification and it's an eight dollar NFT. That's like the really like surface <laughs> right. level version of it. And all the way down is like how does society function? Why are there royal families, class systems, like broadcasters that get to say you this is what you should think or this is you know this is the party line on this this is the party line on that this technology as a layer of infrastructure offers an alternate way to build all those consensus mechanisms whether or not they come to be is is a completely different matter it's like what we're talking about before it's like the infrastructure and the way people use it is really just always a reflection of human nature like how humans behave and people always forget this is like i've built this protocol that does x y and z it's like yes but every single interaction with that protocol is is happening by a person who has a desire to be seen by their peers as x right to preserve capital for their family or for to buy a porsche 911 or whatever it is they're trying to do that to me is like trying to, I think poke fun is one way to, to encapsulate this idea. It's like, you can take this as a really serious thesis on how society is organized, but you can also be like, yeah, this is kind of silly that like somebody who went on Love Island has a blue check mark and, you know, people visit that profile a thousand times more than somebody who has, you know, I don't know a really deep understanding of scientific principle X or has done X amount of like time in industry. What like there's, there's, there's an absurdity to it that I think has inspired a lot of the response and the, the really, I think the really like see say example is like verify yourself, you know, and you can interpret that both ways. It's like, do your own research. And then the other one is like self-actualization, like put your work out into the world, put your name on it, sign it, 
build your network and like connect with people who appreciate the same things you appreciate, contribute to things that um, you want to contribute to and have this verifiable proof of your contribution of your work. So it just it's like a weird encapsulation of so many of the themes and things that I've been uh, interested in or working on or trying to understand for a long time. And there is no answer would be that's the TLDR of, of this whole thing. Is, <laughs> yeah. No, I everybody love decides for themselves. Everybody does decide. And a lot of times, you know, like you said, is it, it asks the question or answers the question like you have this thing, a verification as an idea, as an obsession, a pursuit where it's kind of like Pandora's box. And you're like, oh, my God, like I'm not too proud to admit that, like, I've paid some fucking backdoor people to be like, help me mm -hmm. get my verification. Like I've been on yeah. this. I've been on that. Like that was my I was emailing people that worked at Facebook from when I worked at Super Plastic, like totally tapping into and using and being like hi can you get me verified and then the second that like pandora's box opens or like you see behind the curtain of the wizard of oz and they're like elon is like oh you can pay for it for eight dollars i'm like i don't fucking want this like if everybody can have it yeah. i only want <laughs> yeah, it yeah. if it's gonna yeah. make me feel better than you like and then i'm kind of like oh yeah. my god what kind of vapid like horrible person am i like i need to check myself like why did i care so much and like that's i think where like that's what i love about checks and i also love that that is kind of creating this like inclusive like exclusivity and this like some you get it the like the TikTok sound like the girls who get it get it and the ones who don't don't like <laughs> it is for it can be for everybody because that's the whole purpose and that's the whole idea right but it also can be for nobody because that's the whole purpose and idea so it's really interesting i love it i appreciate the uh the authenticity on the pursuit of the blue check it's 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 like it's it's a legitimate advantage in that environment like if you do your work on the internet people have told me like and everybody does this right say you have your no notifications tab open and pre-elon like dismantling this system somebody with a blue check pops up in your notifications you're like oh, i'm gonna check this out who's this right. oh like they might you know they whether or not they got that thing through the system that existed at twitter or they finagled their way or paid for it or whatever else in the same way, naming no names, I had a conversation last week with somebody who had a probably a quarter of a million dollar watch on, right? Mm -hmm. And they we were talking about just signaling in general and this idea that certain people you have conversations with, and this is like the upper echelons of the financial world, mm -hmm. if they notice that you have that watch on, they're going to start listening to you more intently. Mm -hmm. And that's not like, People don't want to discuss that for many reasons. Obviously, that's like not doesn't signal your merit as a human being. But in certain circles and in certain conversations, that signals your utility to another person or your like relevance in a certain conversation or place or your appreciation for the same objects or things in life. And to deny the existence of that behavior that mentality blah 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 does just lead to frustration it's like you can definitely ascend that and you know monk mode 
I'm not going to do that. I'm not participating in this system. I'm good for my phone those off. people. Yeah, good for you. Whatever. Yeah, good, that's good a different. Them. But that's good a different signal they're too, not right? They're not listening yeah. to this. It, but that's a different <laughs> yeah, yeah, signal yeah. too. Like that is a whole. Okay. Yes. A hundred percent. Like I have felt that way too. Like I've been in a Gucci store wearing like jeans and a hoodie, and in a Gucci store wearing like a lovely dress and boots and tights. Right. And the funny thing, and I'm treated differently both times. I'm sure you can guess which way I'm treated better. But the funny thing is, is that when I'm in the fucking jeans and the hoodie, they're more expensive than the the Nordstrom rack yeah, dress yeah, yeah, yeah. in the Steve Madden yeah. boots. Like it's so bizarre, but like. Yeah that's the whole we are always signaling to the world and like there is something to be said about like it goes back to the productizing of yourself and like you know who do mm -hmm. i want to be listening to me and who do i want to be heard over like it is kind of like we have to think about like everybody's selling something like it's a seller's market <laughs> literally especially yeah. in web three so no i think it's awesome okay my last question and i'll let you go as promised since we're over but i should have told you that i have a tendency of doing that okay what is your most radical or like unpopular radical belief or unpopular opinion when it comes to web three nft it can include the nft space mm. crypto whatever Well, first of all, I hate the Web3 term. I don't know if that's radical, but I think well, that's done more harm than good, for sure. It's relatable. What would you call it instead? That's, what, that's my first. Okay, what would you say instead? Or what the do internet, you say? The internet. Yeah. I yeah. just call it the internet. Exactly. And mm -hmm. this is like the evolution of the technologies that make up the internet. I think yep. it's done. A, like working in advertising and consulting will, will just make you at least if you're a certain have a certain disposition make you hate these buzzwords because they've just uh -huh. been created to sell consulting sessions to brands that are never ever going to participate in a meaningful way for the like metaverse was the one before that right accenture is out shilling like metaverse strategy for baskin robbins or some shit all of this stuff is like down the incentive rabbit hole from somebody made money making this shit up and selling it as the next best thing that's going to solve all your problems and it's going to you know help you self-actualize and help you connect with people in a better way and but the man this there's so that's i think that's number one number two would be like probably this idea of copyright and ip so we're way past we're way like horses bolted from the stable on that stuff. Like yeah. there is no, I don't think it reminds me of this Wright brothers thing. So the story of the Wright brothers, you know, like they get a decent amount of credit for being the first, like to inventing flight. Yes, yes, yes. But yes. after they got the first plane up in the air, they spent 20 years in court fighting everybody else about like, Oh, they stole our pattern. Oh, they're flying before us. Or they're doing a bigger plane. Or, and so much of humanity is held back by this like clawing at things that have already happened. And like I feel some degree of not, I guess, responsibility and remorse in some cases for like people's ideas get stolen and they get like 
monetized better by somebody else, that's like not good. That's a horrible thing. And that we just don't have the systems to enforce that anymore. Like, and by definition, somebody with distribution can, it's an arbitrage opportunity, basically. It's the same thing that people have been doing in finance forever. It's like, we'll, do, we'll commit this horrendous financial crime and then we'll get fined 5% of what we made doing it. And you know, like, oh, there's, oopsies. <laughs> like, yeah, cost of doing business, right? That's the, that's all downstream charge from it, Charge it to the game, and charge it to the game. Exactly. Exa exactly. And I, yeah, I think the more I get exposed to the workings of the world at different levels, like just people's mental models of the world are so different and, and your like, ability to compete in worlds where people just have completely different view of the rules than you do is really it's really tough so one of the things that like this is so hyperbolic and the thing that i'm trying to accomplish with checks is like the ability to make something that kind of has no edges in that sense where it's like you participate in the network and you can you can have some of the upside that's really what i think Ethereum and Bitcoin do, but your ability to contribute to Ethereum and Bitcoin as a not as like any like the random person on the street, right? It's like zero point zero 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 one percent of the world can make meaningful technical contributions to these protocols. Yeah. But if you're able to make something that a much larger percentage of people can contribute to as a meme, as an explanation, as like, and have some ownership in that to me is like a completely different model for self-organization. Again, like hugely lofty idea and goal. And it has to ultimately be explained really well. Like the communication layer is the thing. I don't know if you've come across the idea of network states. Balaji yes. wrote a book called Network mm -hmm. State. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, someone I think asked Vitalik on Twitter, like, how do I start a network state? Right. And people automatically go to this place of like, uh, you know, what technical things do I need to pull together? And, and who, like, you just have to get people to care about it. Like yeah, it's all exactly. communication. It's all story. It's all like, how do you communicate something that people want to be a part of? Then you can figure out all the technical shit later. Like, and that, that to me, like, Maybe this comes back to answer the question in a better way. It's like, if you want to participate effectively in, in, on the internet, you have to find a way to produce something that people care about for whatever reason. And communication is like as a skill set, as a discipline, as a like process of trial and error is the only way to do that. Yeah, so, yeah, I guess that's the, the theme of the whole thing. Um, and any deficit in communication is is drastically impacting the outcome like if you're able to communicate something the best way it can be communicated you're going to win love that perfect mic drop that's the that's the place to end it i'll just ruin it if i try to add something to it or ask another question so <laughs> thank you so much i know we didn't talk very much like actually about checks i think hope people get it from the time that we have talked about it but there is 
loads of awesome interviews and resources online so people can definitely check it out. Um, is there anything that you want to say like just about kind of anything that's coming up? Like if checks holders are listening to this and hoping that they're going to get some alpha, help me get that five star rating, anything you want to say about it and then we'll wrap it up or you can just tell people stay tuned up to you. I say you create the alpha. You are the alpha. How's that? <laughs> Perfect. Exactly. Right. If if everybody's alpha, then nobody's alpha. If everything's alpha, then go. nothing's alpha. <laughs> okay, Jack. Thank you, you so go. so so much. This has been another devastatingly iconic episode of the Carson Daily Show. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Carson Daily and follow the show's dedicated Instagram at Carson Daily Show. And follow this podcast channel so you get new episode notifications. Please rate me five stars also so I can brag to my producers. And remember, you can't go a week in crypto without me. The Carson Daily Show is a Decentral Media production written by me and my better comedic half, James Carr, with music by Woody. See you next Tuesday. Bye.